you can't just leave users to fend for themselves. We, as an industry, you know, the big phone manufacturers, we've created new behaviors that they're not all good. When you are being interrupted by your phone, like every five seconds with notifications and you get that endorphin kick, it is hard to put down. And so the question is, is that something you as a user should deal with yourself or is there something we as an industry can do better? So that's the dilemma. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. I'm thrilled to have our next guest, Klaus Anna Volsen, who is currently the VP of Global Growth and Business Development of Flipboard. Prior to that, Klaus led the growth and marketing efforts for companies like Adcast and Texture. Super excited to have you here, Klaus. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You know, I looked at your LinkedIn and you have a really varied career and in thinking about user experience. Tell me a little bit about how your story in tech started and are there any experiences outside your professional life that you think translated in your success in your career growth? We can see how far we, we, we want to go back, but... I, I didn't start in tech. I'm originally from Denmark, and I moved to uh, California in uh, 2000, uh, you know, basically for love. <laughs> my, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's a good reason to come to America. Um, <laughs> I met my wife, and, and so I came out here, and my first sort of foray, you know, as a professional was in local media. I was, uh, you know, marketing director at a local newspaper company in Southern California, that was, you know, media, and that was very exciting. I, I have the mission behind uh, content, local content, really resonates with me. And I think that the purpose that they have is really important, especially these days. But, you know, how that then translates to how I got into tech? Well, it was actually my, my publisher. He was a, a big Apple fanboy. And the moment that the first iPhone came out, he gave me that, an iPhone as a present. And That's I was, a really nice present to get from, wow, okay. Yeah, well, uh, I, I <laughs> guess he appreciated the value I brought to his company. You must have. And maybe he didn't like the palm trio I was uh, <laughs> lugging around. So he gave me that. And, you know, that was like when you had that iPhone in your hand, it was just like, ah, oh, this is a brand new world. Like there's something here. So I got, you know, deeper and deeper into that. And ultimately I ended up getting moved from the local newspaper division to headquarters of uh, what was called Freedom Communications, 37 newspapers and eight broadcast stations at the time. And they asked me to write the mobile strategy for the company. And so I did that and I helped execute that strategy. That was in Southern California. and then, That was very early on. Yeah. And this was before the iPad came out. So I, part of it was to predict what will happen when the iPad comes out. This was in, what, 2009. And write a strategy for something we hadn't seen before. So it was very exciting times. And ultimately, that's what led me to Silicon Valley, where I am now. And what was the story after? What were the steps after to, that got you to where you are today at Flipboard? It, it's interesting because in your career, you have different moments. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you one story there. It was, you know, when you come from Denmark and you move to California for other reasons, it was not, you know, part of my plan to, oh, I'm going to make it in Silicon Valley, right? But as I moved to headquarters at Freedom Communications, I had uh, my, my boss, his name was Doug Bennett, great guy and, and mentor of mine. And he said, you know what? You really belong in Silicon Valley. 
Did that you ask was, why? Yeah, I mean, it was over lunch. We were just having lunch, and he says, "You, you." It was just a side remark. You know, I think he meant to say, like, you're doing a great job with the mobile strategy. You actually, you really belong in, in a tech world. But that had never crossed my mind. But he, that was like a tiny little seed. And that little seed that he planted in a side remark, you know, I ended up uprooting my whole family, you know, told my, my wife, we are moving to Silicon Valley. And I found a job and I ended up uh, going to a company called Next Issue Media, which was a company that... Uh, was sort of Netflix for magazines, unlimited access to magazines. And I moved to Silicon Valley to join that company as the first marketing hire. You also seems like you have an amazing wife that followed you to Silicon Valley. You see, <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> She's amazing. She is very supportive. And, you know, she has a, a brilliant career in her own right. But she was ready. And, you know, she grew up in Southern California. So it was a big step for her to... For me, it was easier. I mean, I moved from Denmark. I'm used to traveling. I'm used to being away from my family. But for her, it was a big move, for sure. And I think, you know, um, I was looking at your, your background and people sometimes do and then later in their lives teach. And you took a little bit of a different approach. Yeah, well, actually, so when I was in Southern California, I got my MBA down there. And I actually ended up teaching at the school where I took my MBA. So what uh, were you teaching? Marketing, you know, different types of marketing and advertising classes. Uh, that was my specialty. And that was, you know, I had a professor that, again, it's like, this is a theme, right? You have people that are yeah. encouraging you or saying something that nudges you in a direction. And he was just like, I think you'll be do a really good job at teaching. And I says, yeah, maybe. And so he says, I'll give, I'll get you a course. So I was teaching as an instructor part-time while I I started my career in local newspapers. Did you like it? Are you going to go back once you have the most amazing career, Flipboard yeah. <laughs> continues to grow? I mean, you guys are pretty successful already. Do you think you'll go back to teaching? Probably not as a full-time profession, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, it, it is gratifying to give back and I enjoy public speaking. It hones your skills in that. Yeah. But, you know, one thing is that you give back and you teach other people, but it also helps yourself. You have to stay sharp. You have to stay ahead. So, you know, you got to know your stuff if you're going to teach. And same. So I've taught marketing classes. I was also a soccer coach. That's awesome. So, you know, I enjoy that. I'm teaching a class at Stanford oh, this yeah? summer. So I've already, I've already noted in my head that you're going to be on my list. Oh, nice. What are you teaching? Uh, it's a growth marketing. It's That's an eight great. week. Uh, and I'd love to have you as a, as a guest one of the days. Well, we'll I, talk will, after. I will commit on this podcast. That's I will amazing. join you. So, you know, you've had a really interesting career. Is there maybe a story that's been impactful to your career and helped you develop that, you know, we couldn't find looking into your LinkedIn? The story about the impact of mentors. Yeah. You don't see that on LinkedIn, right? That the idea that you make choices in life, but but you do it's so important to find people that support you. Yeah. And and that uh, that can give you that nudge or, or seed. You have to do the hard work, but by getting that little seed is important. So the, the story with Doug Bennett saying that over lunch is pretty important. And that, you know, it basically changed my life. But if we go all the way back, like if, if I think about what has impacted me both in my life and my professional career, it's some things that my dad has told me. And I never really reflected on this, but then we decided to... Um, buy my, my dad a book. So basically we had a guy do a biography on my dad, a journalist. 
So, uh, and, and as part of that, he interviewed us. So, so I had to reflect on this. And he told me two things growing up. Uh, number one, freedom with responsibility. So that, that's the motto that we like, we're put into our, my brother and my life uh, all the way growing I love up. That. Freedom with responsibility. So the idea that you can do whatever you want and you're allowed to do whatever you want. And we, they never, my parents never put any restrictions on us, but it comes with responsibility. So the moment that you don't live up to that responsibility, that's when you get reined in, right? Mm -hmm. But how that translates to your professional life, it's like if anybody works for you, uh, whatever you want, there are no restrictions. You can do whatever you want. You will give freedom. It's so empowering when you have that motto, but it comes with responsibility and you have to live up to that. Number two, and this is just as important, you can do anything as long as it's planned. And my dad was an accountant and, you know, <laughs> this is just in his life, but you just need to plan it and you can do anything. Maybe it's a Danish thing, but it just like, it speaks to productivity. It speaks to keeping your, your house in order. And, and if you do that, you can do much more than you think you can do. How does that translate? I can already kind of see it, but how does it translate to leading a team, being a manager? I can, I can see a lot of lessons from yeah. these two. <laughs> I can see it be very applicable. Yeah. I, I think that the freedom re responsibility, like that directly translates to when I have a team, like there's a lot of autonomy. And I think I will probably put some people out in deep water early on and, and see how they react. And, you know, some people really, really are initially scared of that. And then they shine. Like the moment that they realize, oh, this is on me. This is actually my responsibility. That's when you really see the skills and their, you know, the talent come to life. And the other thing on, on the planning side is like, you know, it's simple things like, let's take an example. When you run a meeting, who are taking the notes? Who is responsible for the action items? And when is the follow-up? Like, so if you, if you keep those things in order and you actually are, have a plan and a process, it's amazing how much more you can get done. It's insane. That's true. I, I think I learned a lot of those things from my co-founder, Mike, who's like so good at that. Yeah. I don't think it came naturally to me. So it's, I think those are um, incredible pieces of advice. So I want to move a little bit uh, towards growth. Yeah. How do you think about, you know, where, where should growth fit in an organization? How does it fit a flipboard? Mm -hmm. How do you guys define this idea of like a growth function? That's a good question. And companies do it in many different ways. If I look at like from an organizational structure, like there is really, there's no growth team at Flipboard. So it's a growth team of one, which is me. But if you flip that around, the whole company is a growth function. So what we do, we, we rally cross-functional teams around, uh, around growth uh, and put them in, in, in initiative teams that are important to, to what's important for Flipboard. So, you know, that means having teams that uh, pursue Acquisitions, for example. But that's a cross-functional team of product managers, designers, analysts, and engineers uh, from the different platform teams and backend as well. So I don't uh, necessarily have a lot of direct reports, but in a way, the whole company is about growth. How do you measure your success? <laughs> uh, well, you know, ultimately, we want to have graphs that go up and to the right. But... We can talk about metrics and how we quantify that, but ultimately we are successful when we solve problems for users. Everything starts with the user 
and you know, Flipboard is a mission-driven company. Our mission is to inform and inspire the world. So everything starts with a product market fit where users come in and they have a service that, that solves problems, that informs them and inspires them in their life and do that in a delightful way. You know, that's really what Flipboard is about. So that's where it starts. Right. It sounds cliche, but when, when you get comments like Flipboard has changed my life, sounds super, you know, Silicon Valley cliche, but that's yeah. true because what you can do on Flipboard, you can go deep with your interests and you can learn and you can better yourself. So if you think throughout your career, I like to ask this question on all our mobile growth panels, and I think I've asked this on every podcast. Um, what are some interesting stories? You know, it can be one, it can be multiple, mm -hmm. where you helped run campaigns or features that helped drive a lot of growth. I think, you know, people learn a lot from stories. For example, we do uh, an incredible amount of testing in our onboarding flow, right? And we take a very systematic approach to how we do that. So when, when we start testing that, we have some hypothesis on what would work well. Before, we had this onboarding flow where you come in and you the first thing you do, you create an account. You create an account and then you personalize your experience and then you're through. And there's a certain abandonment rate in that onboarding flow. So the hypothesis was that if we take out the account creation and get users in immediately, uh, you might get a much wider funnel, but the retention rate of those users might not be as good because they don't give us an email address and they didn't really personalize. So we started testing that and you, know, you have a hypothesis and you set out the first test. We just let people into the experience and it completely failed. Right, you know, you just get people into the experience. It's like no friction. You can just get content immediately, but it was a major fail. And so we learned. Well, that's because the personalization is super important. If you can't personalize immediately, the engagement is going to be lower in the app, and therefore they churn out. So what's really important is you take one test and a hypothesis, and you build on it. So then the second go around, we said, okay, well, let's not go back to the control just yet. Let's try to not have the account creation, but have them personalized. So pick topics beforehand. And we still thought that, okay, it might not work. They might open up the funnel, but uh, uh, retention is going to be worse because we still don't have that email address. But it actually turned out that that was a winner. Just because of the personalization alone, we got higher uh, engagement and retention than if we had asked for the account creation. Wow. So, uh, so that was like, you have to, when you think about testing and learning, it's like set, set a direction, start with some initial test, and then build on those tests to get to the final uh, destination. And to this day, like, we have basically new onboarding tests every two weeks. And every sprint, there are new tests that we are running. You've also talked about your growth loops that are important in creating sustainable growth for your business and making sure that you don't spend too much on paid advertising. How do you think about growth loops? How do you think about creating them? What are some good examples of growth loops you've created at Flipboard? Growth loops, it's, it's one of those uh, terms that we use a lot uh, here. I'm a little obsessed with virality, so I love hearing about interesting growth loops I usually use. I'll probably use some of these in some of my presentations. Well, so I think what's, what's first important is to break down what are growth loops. And there's actually two types of growth loops. There are what we call engagement loops and acquisition loops. And they're not the same. 
uh, if we start on the engagement loop side, it's the concept of, of getting users that come to your service to make some sort of investment in your service. And then because of that investment, they get rewarded. In our case, as I mentioned, it's like if you come to Flipboard and you type in the different topics that you're interested in, that's an investment. You just put some skin in the game right there. The reward in return will be, oh, you made that investment, we can now personalize your experience. So it's investment, reward, and then what's really important is then triggering a new experience. So the trigger is a notification or an email that we can send you based on your personalized interest. So now you could get a personalized notification with content. That's just one example of, of an engagement loop. Acquisition loop, of course, is when you take existing users, whatever they're doing on your platform, whatever they're doing on your service, you use that to attract new users. Pinterest is a good example. They get uh, users to, uh, to pin uh, mm -hmm. stuff into Pinterest, which creates a lot of SEO juice. Yep. And because of the SEO juice, you now attract prospects to discover Pinterest, which in turn becomes new users that then can yeah. repeat the, the exactly. thing. So that's a loop. For Flipboard, an engagement loop, as I mentioned, is what we call a personalization loop. But one that's really powerful for us and that we invest a lot in is curation. So you come to Flipboard and you can consume content, you can read, but you can also flip articles into your own magazines. So I, for myself, I have a magazine about mountain biking. It's called Mountain Biking Bonanza, where I collect all my favorite articles about mountain biking. When I do that, that's an investment uh, uh, engagement loop, right? I can see the content in there. I can get rewarded because people can like my articles. They can like my magazine and they can comment on it. And I can now get a trigger in terms of a notification that says, oh, somebody commented on your magazine. That can then be used as an acquisition loop because now I am encouraged to share my magazine outside of Flipboard. And my, I might want to put it on Facebook and say, look at my beautiful magazine. And this is happening at large scale on Flipboard today. And do you allow people to see all of that without Flipboard? Can other users, or does that require them, you know, do they get extra features if they actually get, is that like a good acquisition platform for you? When you create a magazine, it's, it's an action you take on Flipboard, yeah. right? It's a, it's a feature that we have. But can and someone who's not part of Flipboard see the magazine or do they have to be inside Flipboard to see the magazine? Well, <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, so, so what's really powerful about it is that this magazine can live out, outside of Flipboard. Got it. Right? So it, you, know, you can share it on Facebook, but when you tap on it, yeah. you go to our website. Right? So that's a, that's a gateway right. to get you to, uh, to sign up. You don't have to sign up. You can Got just it. consume the content and, and be done with it. But we have an opportunity to tell you about how great we are right? and see if we can that get makes, you to... No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Awesome. So the other thing that I've, I think we've done some research on you and you, you've been said to be really awesome at thinking about outside the box when it comes to presenting information both when it comes to business plan, product decisions. How did you define the skill? How do you have some examples of how you've done this creatively in the past that our listeners can learn from? You know, one thing is presentation, but I think when you talk about, let's talk about product decisions or, or any decisions yeah. really. We talked earlier about having mentors and learning from others. I think if you're trying to make decisions, product decisions, you have a tool set that you can, you can utilize. 
And for me, that tool set starts with, with first principles. So first principles is something I learned from, uh, from Mike McHugh, the, the founder of, of Flipboard. And he, in return, learned it from Bill Campbell and you know, his mentor. But first principles is, is the idea that when you go in and have to make decisions, you ground it in truths. Uh, so you as a company have certain values, for example, and you know what to be true. For example, at Flipboard, a, a first principle is it's the user first, right? So, you know, that's a first principle that, that when th there is a situation and you have to make a decision, it's like, well, will this harm the user? Yes or no? And you might, you know, make a lot of money, but will this harm the user? Yes or no? So if you have first principles that, that you can stick to, then that's number one. And you can't mess with that. They're principles. It's a heavy word, principles. Number two, when you make decisions, I, I learned this from uh, Jeff Weiner from LinkedIn. He has uh, this, he called it, uh, he got it from David Gergen, which he was a, a strategist from Obama, and saying it's all about repetition, 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 repetition. It's when you are tired of listening to yourself explaining something or, or getting an idea across. It's only when you get tired of listening to it that people will hear it. So if you're trying to persuade people and make decisions that, that you, know, you think you should do, it's really about bringing people along on a journey and repeat the same points again and again till it's been adopted in a meaningful way. And then number three, I think when you're trying to make decisions, uh, you have to, on one hand, be extremely passionate uh, I think I personally always bring passion into a conversation and when I'm trying to get people to rally around something. But you also need to come armed with information and facts uh, and, and know your stuff. There's, you know, your idea can be shut down in no time if you don't have the backup. Yeah. But it's important that it's backup. You got to simplify the narrative. You got to repeat the narrative. But when you're being pressed on something, you got to have the information to back it up. That's really good. So don't show too much information, but have it to back it up. I think it's probably incredible advice for every product manager listening. <laughs> I think sometimes, sometimes I used to be a product manager and sometimes I had a hard time showing, distilling the information. How do you think in addition to this, you present the information, but I think we were going down this, like getting, you know, buy-in. Uh, and I think you said that you are you work around, across multiple organizations. I have a similar yeah. position, a branch. Uh, the important thing is also to get buy-in. And, you know, you obviously you get buy-in in meetings, but how else do you get buy-in from your stakeholders? I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's like something I've been fascinating with. I think it, it certainly goes a long way that you empathize, that you can understand where other people are coming from and why they might not agree with you. Right. In any negotiation, which it's basically is right, you you want to make it win win. You want to always try to make win win situations. So the way you get to that, you get to to the to really it's like, well, what is it that motivates this this person? Why? Why is this person saying no? And is there an underlying reason for that? So if you can have people one on one and understand those motivation and empathize, then it becomes a lot easier. And people are, you know, myself included, we're all reasonable people if we're just not being caught on the defensive. Uh, 
So a lot of communication and a lot of one-on-ones will go a long way, like pre-meeting, before the meeting, yes. right? Those are really, really important, I think, in order to build consensus. We just launched a major product today that has been in the works for the last, I want to say, a year. And, and I can just replay that over time. Like There's been so many different decision points where we had to get, if you don't get the team aligned, if you don't build consensus and get them excited about it, it doesn't, you can do a tops-down decision, but if you, if you do that and you don't have the team join you, like then you will fail from the beginning. Tell us about the product that you launched today. Congratulations. <laughs> sure. Thank you. Yeah, today we, uh, we launched uh, what we call Flipboard TV. So, you know, Flipboard is, is a service where you come to, you know, you can go deep with all your interests, as we talked about. But we've always been, you know, focused on articles. And if you want to go deep with your passion, if it's mountain biking, well, video is a big part of going deep with my mountain bike passion. So that was sort of the motivation behind us creating Flipboard TV. So Flipboard TV is, is a paid service. You pay $3 a month and then you get unlimited access to ad-free videos. And it's from all the publishers that have amazing content, uh, professionally produced short form content. And right now it's like, it's, it's on their websites, but it's hard to discover. And so we can help with that. Like we can cut out the noise and that's the other side. So it's a big project because not only were we internally, you know, figuring out, is this the right thing to do? Yeah. Can we get, you know, it's always trade-offs. Should you be building this or should you be building that? But what made it even more complicated was now you have to get the publishers to, to be on board. And luckily for us, you know, Flipboard has always been on the side of publishers. So with 4,000 partnerships out there, we went to them, but that's a lot of work. And then the third part of, of, of this was that we partnered with Samsung. So the launch is exclusive on Samsung devices. Wow. And Samsung is a big you know, yes. organization. So we, know, so we, we had know. to, yeah. <laughs> They're an investor in branch. Well, there you go. We also partner with Samsung in some way, so yes. So, uh, and they're fantastic. But, you know, you have three different stakeholders, users and your, well, you have four. You have users, you have your publishers, and you have Samsung, and then you have your own company. So we, we managed to, to launch today. It's pretty cool. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. I'm going to move to something. I read an article you wrote recently about putting your phone away. So I'm going to ask a little bit more of a personal question. You know, you have a pretty intense job. How do you balance? How do you do, you know, work-life integration? How does Flipboard play into that? Yeah. And do you have any favorite, like, interests or boards that you, that help you or change your life? I, I wrote an, an article about this. Uh, yeah, I, I was a while reading ago. your article yeah. about putting your phone away. Yeah. And how does that, how that you, you manage to, because, you, you know, you use your yeah. phone to, it's well, such a struggle. Yes. The reason I wrote the article was like, it's, it's certainly been something that's been, you know, on my mind for a long time. And then I went to this conference and it was kind of crazy. On one day, I was listening to Ariana Huffington and, you know, she had famously a burnout. Yeah. And so then she, she founded a company called Thrive. My best friend works for that company. Uh, so I see her updates yeah. all the time on LinkedIn. They're really cool. Yeah. I, I read a lot of her. Yeah. And so, you know, she's basically saying, like, put your phone down. Yeah. 
And so I sat in on that and I was like inspired and it's like, this is right. And I've made changes because of, of her, you know, what she said. And then the next day I sat in on a, on a full day workshop with Nir Eyal that wrote the book Hooked, which is, you know, where the engagement loop comes from. Right. Well, it's, you know, at least that's what he wrote about the whole idea of, you know, investing, rewarding and triggering. I was like, oh, well, now I have a dilemma. Uh, my job is to, you know, help with the, the growth model. But Ariana just told me to put my phone down. <laughs> so 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 that that's the struggle. So I think what it comes down to is that we do as growth practitioner, we we have a responsibility, I think. You know, one of the, the guys that have said a lot on this topic is Tristan Harris. This idea of, well, he was saying, like, basically what I'm saying is, like, we have a responsibility. It's not just, you can't just leave users to to fend for themselves. Yeah. We, as an industry, and, you know, the big companies, uh, phone manufacturers, we've created new behaviors that and they're not all good. When you are being interrupted by your phone, like every five seconds with notifications and, you know, you get that uh, endorphin kick, it is hard to put down. And so the question is, is that something you as a user should deal with yourself or is there something we as an industry can do better? So that's the dilemma. And now Nir Eyal has come out with a new phone, and uh, no, not new, not new phone, <laughs> a new book, new book, right? Where he's he's given you advice on how to uh, to put the phone uh, down, which is kind of ironic when he was the one that wrote the first book. I am still conflicted. I myself am trying to put the phone down when you know when my kids are around. I try to turn off the phone when we have dinner. Uh, I turn off my phone uh, and put it in the kitchen when I go to bed because what's the most, you know, tempting thing when you wake up in the morning? It's to look at your phone. I do that every morning. If it's not in the bedroom, you can't do yeah. that. Yeah, How do you wake up? I have my, my watch. So I have technology on me to wake me up. Okay. But at least there's no notification. I turn notifications off my watch. <laughs> so there are small hacks we can do. A certain, and, and I do that. But it's like... Ah, I hate this analogy because it's not the same, but it's still a good analogy. It's like, it's the same with smoking. As an industry, there are some problems we need to deal with. It's not healthy, but the individual also has to quit smoking, right? It's not one or the other, it's both. For Flipboard, to sort of give it full circle, like what we really try hard is to make sure that every engagement is valuable. So it doesn't become empty calories when you open Flipboard, that you actually you know, that it becomes part of a good habit and we reward you with, with going deeper with your, with your interest. So I guess that comes to your second, second question. second question, which is what are your interests on <laughs> <or> Flipboard? <laughs> if you open my Flipboard right now, you will see I have created uh, magazines for politics. I became an American citizen last year. So I voted oh. for the first time. I brought my son. It was a big moment for me. Uh, but I have politics. Uh, I have my tech feed, uh, tech magazine, and then I have my mountain bike magazine, and then I have my MMA magazine. So, you know, mixed martial arts uh, where you see people beat each other up. It's uh, like it's, the one championship. One championship, UFC, Bellator. I spend, uh, spend a lot of time engaging in that content. Have you ever taken martial arts yourself? You know, it's... I'm um, I'm in my 40s and and I read this book of a guy in his 40s that took up MMA and I am so tempted to do it but I haven't yet. 
<laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe when I turn 50. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's exciting. But I am. So. I, I do uh, go out and do mountain biking. So I do a lot of mountain biking. That's awesome. Wow, this is, this is really interesting. I will end with the question. You've had a successful and also very interesting career. Um, what is a piece of advice for uh, people earlier in their career listening to the podcast who are looking to go into growth, who are yeah. looking to go into product, mm-hmm. who want to find ways to make an impact on their organizations? You know, a, a theme we've talked about a little bit uh, today is mentors. You seek out mentors. Uh, find people that believe in you and lean on them. They want to help you and, and you should take their help. That's number one. How should they ask for a mentor? You know, I think sometimes people feel like they want someone to mentor them, but they're too shy or scared. Or... Yeah. Well, that's a really good question. How would you uh, How would you do that? I have asked people if they wanted to give me... Uh, I've had some marketing mentors that came through me asking someone on the board to, pr- to introduce me to someone. And I've asked her and we, we ended up actually making her a formal advisor for Branch. Um, she helped a lot. Yeah, Megan Eisenberg. So I gave her, we gave her stock for her to mentor me. <laughs> um, other mentors, how did I ask them? I think it's. Uh, I would say that sometimes I'm definitely a little bit shy about about asking. And if I'm to think about a lot of the mentors in my previous career before branch were actually like my managers or people that I got paired with. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I've been the best at searching for my own mentors, but I regret that. I wish I did a better job, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, what you said there, it's often your manager, right? I mean, there are, it, you don't necessarily have to ask. It's like some of it is organic. Right. Like if you find a manager that, that you really, you know, get along with that, you know, when you have those one-on-ones, yeah. they, uh, they become so valuable. And I think that's another thing that I try to do make sure that you do these one-on-ones and you are it becomes about career management it becomes about you know people's life it's not so much about what's the next to do on your list right so that's fair yeah so for if you want to whether it's in growth or any other things like seek out mentors i would say but the other advice i would give is um it's funny you mentioned that you're doing the the marketing growth course at stanford this summer i mean if you have a growth mindset, you never stop learning. Always seek out uh, new information. I um, took the Reforge growth program. They're here in the Bay Area. They have amazing content. And, you know, stuff like that will, will help advance and learn about growth loops, for example. Yeah, that's awesome. Any advice on uh, any books you mentioned, Hooked? Any other books or any other sources where people can learn, especially if they have a growth mindset? Uh, Reforge, I think, is a great um, yeah. advice. Hopefully our course. Yeah. Uh, but any other books, anything else that you, you recommend? I try to read more fiction when I get home, but, uh, but a couple of, of business books, like The Growth Mindset is a book. Yes, we, I, we, we actually buy it for every new employee at yeah. Branch because it, was, it changed my life. That one is, is really good. It's sort of like a... A classic, right? Yeah. And, and another one I would uh, recommend is from a board member at Flipboard, John Doerr, who wrote uh, the book on OKRs, which is what, you know, they used at Google and we use it at Flipboard. So OKRs means objectives and key results. 
So it's 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 again, you know, everything can be done if it's planned. Well, OKRs fit right into that. It's a great book because it's not just it's not a dry book about process. John puts in all the anecdotes from all the stories that yeah. he's seen in the valley of companies that used OKRs. So I would recommend those. Too. Oh, and uh, another one that I actually used in my marketing class was Seth Godin's Purple Cow. That's a classic too. Someone bought that for me uh, and sent it to me in the early days of Ranch. It's a yeah. very good book. Yeah, and it's an easy read. It's an easy read. Those are amazing. And I hope for our listeners, they will read all of them. And if they don't have time to read, I listen to my, I read my fiction and listen to my nonfiction. So, yeah, that's a good, good way um, to do it. I think that we all commute so much these days. So thank you so much. This was uh, incredible having you on. And I feel I learned a lot and it was such an interesting conversation. And it was great having you on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.